Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin.
Amen. You did a great job, Janice. She was good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you too, Ginger. <laughs> that's, that's right, you too. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew as we continue through and we're looking at the final week, Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Gethsemane, chapter 26. We'll be looking at verses 36 through 56 there. And I heard that something that was quite, quite interesting. Uh, this uh, week, and I thought such a great, great way to present this this information. And uh, oftentimes, uh, when we'll sing or uh, preach a message, and folks, you know, they'll say, "Oh, you know, it was a fabulous song," or even with Miss Ginger and the, the playing. And uh, we stayed over and over and over again that God has given us gifts whereby to, to serve him and to glorify him and that he is the one to be, to be recognized. And uh, so uh, I was listening to this one uh, preacher who uh, he said that, um, that what came to his mind is when Jesus came to Jerusalem during the final week and he was riding on that donkey. And all the people were, were you know, praising him, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. He said, you know, the, the, the preacher, the pastor of the church is like that donkey. He said, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one who is to be worshipped. Jesus is the one to be glorified. Jesus is the one to be recognized. All the pastors are nothing but donkeys. You see, donkeys who, who are bringing the word of God, but it, it's God's word, remember that. And we are but the donkeys. Jesus is the king. Amen? And all that is done, and all that God has given to us comes from from his heart. So pray for this poor donkey, all right? <laughs> I, I guess I could have said a jack of all trades. <laughs> Got you on that one. <laughs> but uh, yes, indeed. And you know the story of the, uh, you know, the prophet who was riding on that donkey. And he began to beat the donkey, right? And, uh, and uh, the donkey spoke. And, uh, and someone said, well, you know, yeah, that happens in our church every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matthew chapter 26, and uh, beginning at verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. 
And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must happen thus? In that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber, with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Let's pray. Our Father in God, as we study your word today, we pray that you be our teacher through God the Holy Spirit, to the glory and to the honor of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that you will speak to each one of our hearts, illuminate our understanding, enable us to both hear and see, and also to feel deep within our hearts, and to recognize and acknowledge the wonderful gift of your love and forgiveness the gift of life and the gift of hope. We thank you, Lord, for the beautiful lesson we learned today in Sunday school. We thank you for each one who teaches and all who participate. And we thank you, Lord, most of all for your holy word and for the truth that you are trustworthy and faithful. So, Lord, as we study your word, Again, we ask, speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. 
And so our first point is the struggle in Gethsemane. <coughs> the Bible says that Jesus became sorrowful and deeply distressed. The condition of his, of his life, the condition of his ministry, there in the Garden of Gethsemane. They had observed the first communion, if you will, the, the ordaining of the Lord's Supper. We mentioned that last week. And then the Bible says they sang a hymn and then they went out across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane is located. And as they gathered there, as we've just read, the Bible teaches that Jesus was overcome. He was overcome with sorrow and deeply distressed because he knew what was coming. Within just a few days, really within just a few hours, he would be arrested, he would be beaten, and then he would be crucified. And we as, as humans, we when we consider the life and, and this point in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, we, we have a tendency to focus upon on the physical. And certainly there was physical suffering. And the Bible teaches that he was beaten like no other man. As a matter of fact, he was so beaten, the Bible says that he was unrecognizable when he was finally nailed to that cross. Because they had not only had beaten him with their fists, but also they whipped him and they plucked out his beard. Any ordinary man would have died before going to the cross, but it was impossible for them to kill him. But the Bible teaches, Jesus said of himself, no man takes my life from me, I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it back again. But here in the garden he's overwhelmed. And why is he overwhelmed? He's overwhelmed because he knows that when he goes to that cross that he bears the sin of the entire human race. Our sin, our sin becomes his. Now that's hard to imagine and to really fully comprehend. You see, there upon the cross, the wrath of God the Father is poured out upon God the Son. We sang that in, that in that first hymn. The wrath of the Father was appeased through the death of God the Son. And Jesus knew when he, he fell on his face and he prayed in humility before his Father. And notice, oh my Father. Now over in the, in the Gospel of Mark, he also adds this word, the word Abba in the, in the, the Aramaic, which, which really means Daddy. This, this intimacy that the Son had with the Father. 
And he cries out to the Father, if there's any way possible. You see, and, and most people when they read that, they think that Jesus is, is trying to avoid the pain of the, of the cross, the physical pain. No, it's not that. It's not that. Jesus is the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. And he was to now take upon him the sin of the entire human race. All of the ugliness of sin, all of the immorality, everything that the human race is guilty of, he, there upon that cross. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. It is beyond our human understanding to fathom what Christ was experiencing. The Lord Jesus exemplifies complete obedience to the Father's will. Stop for a moment and consider that the weight of the entire universe rested upon Jesus' shoulders, upon this, this decision, upon what was coming. The entire universe and everything in creation rested upon him. The future of the human race, the future of God's creation and all of his kingdom, there upon him. Upon him, literally, the weight of the entire creation was upon him. And there in the garden, he cries out to the Father, if at all possible, let this cup, and the cup that he's referring to, it's a, it's a metaphor for what he will experience, the laying down of his life. But in his prayer, nevertheless, not as, not as I will, not as I desire, but as you will, willingly obedient. And of course, he, he prayed this prayer three different times. So, you know, you, you'll have people, and some of these guys that, you, you know, that are real popular on TV, they say, well, you, all you have to do is just pray one time. Right? That's what they say. Just, just pray one time, use the Lord's name, and, and move on from there. And take it by faith that, that God's going to work it all out. I guess they never read here that Jesus prayed the same prayer three times. Or how about that, that woman who kept going to the unjust judge? You remember that? Over and over and over again. And the unjust judge said, man, she's going to wear me out. I'm going to give her whatever she asks for perseverance in prayer. And he comes to the disciples and poor guys, they'd eaten a big meal. they had at least four glasses of wine. And they had no idea what was coming. It wasn't because Jesus didn't tell them or didn't warn them. He had told them many times and he even told them that very night that he would be betrayed, that they would, they would forsake him. That the shepherd would be struck and the, and the sheep would be scattered. 
and fulfillment of the prophecies. So he comes to them and he says, indeed, the Spirit is willing. Yes, the Spirit is, is willing. We all think about wonderful things that we would like to do for the Lord, and then we find a reason for not doing it. Or because we're just too darn tired. You ever wake up and, and you just feel like after you've awakened that you need to go back to bed? <laughs> I've been feeling that more and more these, these days. <laughs> you get up and then you think, oh my goodness, I think I need a nap. <laughs> Jesus fulfilled the will of the Father. He accepted it willingly, and yet he struggled with it. That's, you see, that's, that's in a way how he identifies with us as humans. He understands, the Bible teaches that he's not a priest who, who can't identify with us. He can identify with us because he, he knows what the struggle is in life is all about he struggled himself there he was struggling and have you ever struggled in your life struggling is a part of human experience there's so many different things that we struggle with and we struggle with fulfilling God's will in our lives so we move on Look at Judas. It's so disappointing, isn't it? So sad, so tragic. Here he was in the, in the presence of God the Son, God in human flesh. That word incarnation really comes from a, a Latin word which refers to flesh, in, in flesh. And we've, we've mentioned this before, that chili con carne, con is a, or con in the, in the Latin means with, and carne is flesh, see? The incarnation, God in human flesh. And there, Judas had the opportunity for three years or so to hear Jesus preach, to be in his presence, to experience all of the miracles. And yet he allowed the devil to fill his heart. Judas arrives together with a mob. And what does he do? He'd given the mob a sign. He says, well, the person that I go up to and greet with a kiss, he's the one. makes it that much uglier and wicked and evil, so deceitful and dishonest. And notice Jesus. How does Jesus respond? He calls him friend. He gives him an opportunity to repent. He gives him an opportunity to change his mind. 
He gives him an opportunity to really consider once again and to, to change his mind and repent from the evil that he's about to do. And I'm sure Jesus didn't say, friend. No. But with a gentle, loving voice, looking right at him. Friend. Friend. Why have you come? Then, of course, the mob lays their hands on Jesus. Now, to Peter's credit, see, because rarely is this brought out. The disciples actually were ready to fight. But they didn't know how to fight without physically fighting. That was what they didn't know how to do. Peter, and we know that from looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John, and Malchus was the, the servant, the, the chief priest's servant whose ear got cut off. Peter pulled that sword out and cut that ear off. He was ready to fight. He was going to defend Jesus. But of course, Jesus takes control of the situation. Now, here's the thing. We know that Peter was also very impetuous. And it was God's will that, that this occur. And, and even though Peter was, was ready and willing to fight physically, it wasn't right for him to do so. Because that situation could have gotten out of hand. Imagine if the, the mob would have then responded. You've seen that happen across our country. The police attempt to, to manage a situation, and there is always someone stirring up the crowd. When I was in the military, one of the things, uh, one of the tasks we had was riot control. And we go through all, you know, went through all different types of training to identify the instigators. Now there's these small little units that once that instigator is, is discovered, that, that unit will go in and, and apprehend that person and take them out of the way. But I tell you, it's hard to do your job when the government doesn't want to back you up like these poor police officers across our country. But this situation could have gotten out of hand. But notice what Jesus does. And we read this in, in Luke, John. Jesus quickly picks the guy's ear up and heals him. He heals him. He puts the ear back on and heals him. Now you would have thought that the rest of the folks who were there in seeing that would have said something or thought, wait a minute, maybe he really is the Son of God. Maybe he really is the Messiah. Who in the world can do such a thing? 
Jesus tells Peter to put your sword in its place. Put it away. The scripture teaches those who live by the sword will die by the sword. That is, if you put your trust in a weapon to protect you, then you just might end up dying by that weapon. Now, I'm not anti-self-defense. No, don't get me wrong. Jesus told them to take with them those swords for self-defense. Because every human being has a right of self-defense. But what he's talking about here is this is all part of God's plan. He must be arrested. He must be taken. For how else then can the scripture be fulfilled? And he also says, stop and consider that if I were to cry to my father, that he could send 12 legions of angels, or more than 12 legions of angels. That's approximately 72,000 plus angels. Now what did two angels do in Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> and later on, one angel destroyed more than 200,000 soldiers in a night. Can you imagine what 72,000 angels <laughs> Jesus said, no, this has to be. All this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then Romans, or I have a, I have a Romans chapter 12. The Bible teaches that God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Right? The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. God will hold the guilty accountable. You can count on that. Or as the, the lawyer would say, you can take that to the bank. God will hold the guilty accountable. But moving on, what do we learn from these passages? Every human being, every human being, whether they're a believer or not, experiences some form of struggle in his or her life. Everybody struggles. And here's the wonderful thing about that. Struggle actually produces strength. If the individual going through the struggle is willing to learn from the struggle. Although it may not be pleasant, and usually it's not pleasant. Yet if an individual will seek to learn from the struggle, they will learn and they will be wiser for it. Every Christian experiences the struggle of fulfilling personal desires or God's will in his or her life. Devoted obedience. That's what's required. Could Jesus have walked away? Oh, that's a theological question that the scholars debate over and over and over and over again. And only God knows. But what do we know? He didn't walk away. 
See, that's, that's the most important point. He didn't walk away. And sometimes we're, we're given opportunities through a particular struggle that we are experiencing, and we can choose to fulfill God's will or we can walk away. What are you experiencing in your life right now? For some, the struggle is whether or not to accept Christ as Savior. For others, whether or not to join a particular church. For others, the struggle is whether or not they should follow through and, and be baptized. For others, the struggle is whether or not they should actually tithe and give their offering to the Lord. For some, the struggle is whether or not they should witness to their children or to their neighbor or to their, to their co-worker or, or other acquaintances and friends and cousins. For some, the struggle is whether or not they should call so-and-so and, and talk to them and ask for their forgiveness. Does any of that hit home? Does any of that ring a bell? Our Lord Jesus Christ exemplifies complete obedience to the Father's will. He willing and did in fact give his life as a sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice for your Lord that he may be glorified and that someone else might be saved? Now how do we how do we experience victory in, in this Christian life? Right there, number four, or D. Prayer that is worshipful. Notice that when Jesus fell on his face, he, he's down upon his face. And he worships the Father. When we pray, you need to spend time alone somewhere where, you, where you'll not be interrupted and spend that time alone with God and worship him and cry out to him, humble. Not like the Pharisee who said, oh, God, I'm so glad that you made me the way that you made me. <laughs> Not like this guy over here. I do this and I do this. You know the story. He just went through a whole list of all the wonderful good things. You know that there are people who are actually like that. They think, they really believe that they're God's gift to the human race. Yeah. But God's people are to be humble. Humble. You see, we're nothing less than a speck of dust. That's really what we are. Personal. A personal relationship with God. We have a personal relationship with Him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Personal. You can't be saved for your children. And just because you're saved doesn't mean that your children are saved. 
You need to share Christ with your children and your grandchildren and your sister and your brother and with as many as you possibly can. And even though they call you names and curse at you and, and say all kinds of things, you keep loving them and praying for them and witnessing to them. Passionate. The prayer of Jesus in the garden was passionate. It was, it was filled with intensity. That's how we're to pray. Believing. Purposefully obedient to God's will. There must be a purpose, and it must be to fulfill God's will in our lives. We must be willing to ask God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And then when God reveals it to you, you do it. You don't make excuses for not doing it. There are so many Christians, they ask God to reveal his will, then he does, and they say, well, I can't do that. I just, I, that's just not for me. So what do they do? They walk away. And then a week later, they're crying about, well, why is it that so-and-so seems to get his prayers answered, but mine go unanswered? No, God answers all prayer, does he not? He answers the prayers, yes. But he answers them from his perspective? Yes, no. You see, no is an answer. All right? Wait. That's an answer, too. We were mentioning that in Sunday school this morning. That we don't realize that there are many prayers that we've prayed that God's answer will not come until we've passed from this life on into the next. And we mentioned last week, what kind of a legacy are you leaving behind with your life? So that when you pass away, those who know you best, what will they remember about you and your life? And will that remembrance cause them to draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or move them further away? You follow? As Christians... We're to be investing in the kingdom of God. Praying purposeful, passionate, worshipful and humble prayers. These are the kinds of prayers that glorify God and results in a strengthened, Holy Spirit-empowered believer who then is able to work the works of God here upon this earth. Jesus said, you see the works that I do? You'll do these works and even greater. When you read that, you wonder, what? How in the world? And Miss, Miss uh, Carol Jones had given me this great big book, and I mean great big book, <laughs> on the life of Billy Graham. And as I looked through that and read through that, I I was amazed. One man. The Bible says, it's often been said, what, what one man can do who is willing to submit his life to God can be used by God. 
as I, as I look through that book, my goodness, he preached on every continent in the world and in almost every country. And he, he met with all of these different rulers, kings and, and prime ministers and presidents, you name it. And today, it's estimated that the Billy Graham ministry has reached more than two billion, with a B, people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I learned something else that I didn't know, that he was actually a Presbyterian. And wanted to preach, and, and uh, as he was going to school, he was invited, uh, invited to preach at a Baptist church, and uh, talking with some friends, they said, uh, Billy, they're, gonna, they're not gonna let you preach if they find out that you're a Presbyterian. So, so he became a Baptist and, and then was baptized as a Baptist. <laughs> and his ministry took off. <laughs> Time alone with God. Time alone with God. Passionate prayers. A willingness to fulfill God's will in your life. You say, well, I'm... I'm I'm not Billy Graham. No, none of us here are. You're you. And you are uniquely you. And God has given you a unique ministry. Have you discovered that ministry? Have you discovered God's calling in your life? If you haven't, then I want to encourage you to not waste any time. Spend time alone with God today and ask Him, what is it that He wants you to do with the rest of your life? And I believe that God will reveal that to you. And then I want to encourage you to do this. Ask God to give you the courage to fulfill it. We're going to sing a hymn, I Surrender All, great hymn. Are you willing to surrender it all? Jesus surrendered it all. Will you surrender to him? Let's stand, please. pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word, and we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.